what's better than this guys being dudes here on the draft dudes podcast presented by locked on it's joe marino kyle krabs and chris schubert from the draft network and we are your host here on a tuesday episode of the show i think it's a tuesday maybe it's a wednesday they're shaking their head at me happy wednesday to you welcome kyle Thank you for the rousing introduction. And we're recording on Tuesday night. And something has just come across my timeline that I would like to share with both of you. We know pop culture is kind of hit or miss on this show with Joe and, and Chris. And we don't always overlap with things. But I think it's safe to say we can all appreciate the new sneakers that I have just seen. Reebok releasing a Jurassic Park themed set of sneakers. And I would like him to share my screen, your reaction to these. Oh, they look like the Sean Kemp shoes, kind of. Chris? So this is a two-part response for me. One part you're going to like, the other part you're not going to like. One part, these shoes are awesome. Two, I will openly admit here on the show, understanding the can of worms that this is about to open. Don't tell me you haven't. Just stop talking if you're going to say you haven't seen the movie. Okay. Yeah. So these things, <laughs> these things slap as the kids say the, I would rock these every day. I would sleep in these shoes. So if you're unfamiliar, nice kicks is the handle Reebok Jurassic park, Twitter search it and thank me later. When you see the coolest pair of sneakers, the only pair of sneakers that you need to add to your wardrobe collection. Wow, that was a free sponsorship of the Listen, Jurassic Park sneakers. It takes me to weird places, right, Joe? You know a little something about mm. that. I do. I think maybe for some people, when they watch Kyle Pitts play football, ooh, yeah, might take them to a few weird places. And that's what we're talking today. We're talking about Kyle Pitts. We're talking about the player he is, the landing spots. And then we're going to take a peek at the rest of this tight end class. And Kyle, I know you are fully swooned by Mr. Kyle Pitts. So why don't you tell us about him as a player to get things started? So Kyle Pitts is six foot five, 245 pounds, ran four, 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 elect or unofficial, unofficial at his pro day. Uh, superb athlete, just the rarest of the rare from the tight end position. You think about, The history, and I'd be interested in getting into this a little bit with you, Joe, here on the show today, the history of tight ends being drafted in this range of the draft. And Kyle Pitts may be a better athlete than all of them as far as you take the entire body of work and what he has to offer. But then you watch him play, and you watch him be press coverage and defeat inside leverage to get inside and and run slant routes coming in the middle of the field. You watch him stack Tyson Campbell and Pat Sertain the second uh, and and win vertically down the field on the boundary against those guys at six foot five at 245 pounds. And then you watch him play with his hand in the dirt. Is he the most refined blocker in the world? No, he's not Rob Gronkowski. He's not George Kittle, but he's perfectly reasonable as an inline blocker. Joe, he spent 60% of his snaps, according to the Pro Football Focus Draft Guide, 60% of his snaps came with his hand in the dirt as a player for the Florida Gators. So this is not a player 
who, despite all his athleticism, that you get that queasiness about putting him in line and asking him to play with his hand in the dirt. Are you doing it with a disservice if you ask him to play in pass protection a bunch? Yes, absolutely. But no coach in their right mind is going to do that. So, I mean, you go right down the list, Kyle Pitt, the production for the games that he played this year was off the charts. The athleticism's off the charts. The size is off the charts. The tape is off the charts. What's there to not like? Nothing. Nothing. And you mentioned that 4-4-4 40-yard dash, which is in the 99th percentile for tight ends. But the guy didn't even run in a straight line. I mean, the guy straightens right. this thing out. He's in the four threes at 245 pounds and six foot six with almost 11 inch hands. I mean, you talk about the way NFL offenses are spacing the field, working to create mismatches. I mean, you don't have to do anything special to create a mismatch with Kyle Pitts. All you got to do is put him on the field, right? He's a problem. There's nobody that has a guy on their defense with the size and athleticism to really match up with this guy. And you saw that. <laughs> you saw that in the SEC. This guy was clowning top athletes, top prospects. And he's going to be a real problem in the NFL. You think about what's going on with Darren Waller, with the Raiders and how they've gotten production out of him. Different player than Travis Kelsey, different player than George Kittle, but these guys are problems in the NFL and nobody has answers for them. Kyle Pitts is that next guy that's going to come in and just be a nightmare to defend. Kyle, this guy's six foot six. You don't see guys that are six, six, sink their hips and get in and out of breaks like Kyle Pitts does. He's a problem. And <laughs> if you don't have a quarterback, you have to really, if you do have a quarterback and you're, you're not drafting one high, you got to think about Pitts as that first non-quarterback off the board. So was it Dan Mullen that said he's a unicorn and you can only cover him with another unicorn? Was somebody on the heel yeah. at, at the pro day that said like you can only cover them with unicorns, and that's that's a fun conversation for another day. It's like, yeah, look across the league, who are the defenders <laughs> that you can trust, and maybe not right away with Kyle Pitts, right? He's going to be a rookie; he's never yeah. played the NFL level before. But in time, look, look at it from Darren Waller because I think Darren Waller is the perfect comparison. Name the the defenders across the entire league that can consistently man up and go mano a mano with Darren Waller. Physically, maybe Jeremy Chin can get there with the Carolina Panthers. Eric Rowe, probably the best tight end eraser in the game, right? Can we agree he's definitely up there high on the list? He's the last year and a half since he's transitioned from corner to safety. He's been phenomenal covering tight ends. And Waller, big boyed him <laughs> the entire game. The entire game. Week so, yeah, 16. these these tight end erasers, they erase normal players, but when they... They even pace, erase good ones. Right? <laughs> but, but there's no answer for these guys, man. If there was a way to stop Travis Kelsey, teams would do it. He wouldn't have five consecutive thousand-yard seasons, but nobody knows how to stop this guy. Let me ask you this. Would you ever leave 12 personnel? If and I it's had... Like, if, you, if you had Kyle Pitts on your roster, would you ever leave 12 personnel? Only if I wanted to go... 11, <laughs> you know what Wait. I mean? And treat him as a receiver. But 11 is 10 with him. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like if you, you can go 12 personnel and it is 11 personnel because you yeah. can put Kyle Pitts in any alignment on the field. Yeah. Problem. It's a problem. So 
how do you how do you account for that? That that's the question that defensive coordinators are going to have to ask themselves: is how do you how do you get trends from a player that you're going to classify as heavy personnel because there's two tight ends on the field, but you can go empty with him. You're going to be too small <laughs> or you're going to be too slow. No matter how you put your defenders on the field, you're just not going to have the answer. Need to tell you guys about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the planet. They have tons of amazing flavors. Some of my favorites are cookies and cream. I really like the lemon almond cheesecake. Apple almond crisp is underrated. They're all delicious. They're covered in 100% chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. It's literally a candy bar that is disguised as a protein bar, and they are great for anyone who is health conscious because, yeah, they may taste like a candy bar, but they're great for you. They're perfect for anyone who wants to lose weight, maintain weight, or just indulge in a delicious treat. You got to try these things. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and great for anyone on the keto diet. We have a deal for you. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So Kyle, as we start to transition this conversation from what Kyle Pitts is as a player to the destinations and, and teams that are in play for his services, I want to bring up one point. Because one thing that we widely accept when it comes to tight end prospects is that they're slow developing. They don't necessarily make an immediate impact. And when you're talking about a top five, top 10 pick at worst with Kyle Pitts, maybe that's a question that teams have for themselves, to which I want to bring this talking point up and, and see how you respond. I think the reason why tight ends are typically slow developing to the NFL is because they have to learn how to play two positions. They're learning how to play offensive line and wide receiver. Independently, those are difficult things to do. Combined, really difficult to do is the best idea for Kyle Pitts in year one to just kind of throw out the tight end stuff, not play him 60% of the snaps with his hand in the dirt and just use him as an X or use him as a big slot, maybe some backfield stuff in terms of alignment, but really not hone into that inline stuff. I think the more simple you can keep it early on until he proves he masters the small portion size, uh, the better it's going to be, but yeah, that that's kind of the uh, roadblock uh, to everybody getting all aboard. No questions asked is, is traditionally tight ends don't get drafted in the top 10. And when they do get drafted in the top 10, the year one results are almost always a throwaway. And then you get a big jump in year two. And a lot of times you get an even bigger jump in year three, but like, this is such uncharted territory for a player with this size, speed, production at this level of competition. I mean, the top 10 overall tight ends drafted since like 2000 is like Vernon Davis, Kellen Winslow Jr. Went six. Uh, we had TJ Hawkinson at eight. He went eight. That's Who it since 2000, Kyle. That's, That's it. it. Okay. You go back to 1996 and you can find Kyle Brady and Ricky Dudley. 95 Kyle Brady with the Jets, Ricky Dudley in 96. I mean, so since 2000, it's Winslow, Davis, Hawkinson. And you look at their year ones, every single one of their year ones was underwhelming. 
Eric Ebron was the 10th pick in 2014. So there's there another go. one. Yep. There you go. And he was another one, a slow developer. But yeah. each one of those guys is not well, – Vernon Davis was kind of a move guy. He wasn't quite as big as Kyle Pitts. Callum Winslow certainly wasn't as explosive. So, yeah, I, I do think you have to avoid trying to ask him to do everything, which is going to be – a difficult temptation, right? And you, you saw that a little bit on the other side of the ball with Isaiah Simmons in 2020 mm -hmm. as a player who was perceived as this guy can do everything. Well, if you ask him to do everything right off the jump, like he's not where he needs to be in any specific area. So that for Kyle Pitts, I think that's something worth factoring into when we talk about destinations for him um, is looking at where your timetable is going to match up with your investment. So let's look at those destinations. And I think we can all accept that the first three picks quarterbacks quarterbacks, which takes us to number four, the Atlanta Falcons, Arthur Smith, Delaney Walker, right? Think about John U. Smith. This is a better version of those players. You know, he'd love to have a piece like this that he can flex out, and create those mismatches, really be a nightmare down the seam with the play-action stuff. I mean, to me, when you talk about floor ceiling, ceiling's four to Atlanta. I think it's a realistic possibility. I guess your question is, what is, what is Atlanta's perception of themselves? That's a great question. I don't think they know the answer right now. Right. Well, you got new – go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, haven't they kind of answered that question for us with what they did with Matt Ryan's contract? By restructuring his contract the way that they did, giving themselves a nice little two-year window before they have to make a decision, haven't they kind of tipped their hand on what they think they are? Well, I read a tweet today that said the GM thinks that, you know, it would be wise to, to sit there and maybe pick a quarterback at four, and maybe Arthur Smith thinks that Matt Ryan has two-plus years left. So, I mean, I'm sure internally those decisions are made they, that they have a clear understanding, but at least – some of the conversation in the football community right now is Arthur Smith thinks there's two good years left in Matt Ryan and the GM's thinking about either trading out or, or sitting there and picking a quarterback. And you would think theoretically the best thing that they, they need so much defensive help. If you are yeah. a team that perceives yourself as we can contend with Matt Ryan, is Kyle Pitts not overkill? When, when you have all of the needs defensively that you need, that to me feels like something that is, it's a home run fit as far as, you know, Julio Jones is not going to be there for the long term. He's the perfect complementary piece to Julio and Calvin Ridley, but you need to build an entire team. And there's nobody on the defensive side worth picking it for. So, like, right. what do you do? Well, I, I think it's a good question, Kyle. I mean, do you think your best way to maximize the back, the last few holes of, of Matt Ryan's career is to give him everything he needs to, to keep that offense humming, or is it to complement what he does have on defense with more talent, excuse me, what he does have on offense with more talent on defense. And, and if that's the case, you got to trade back. You have to get one of these quarterback needy teams to come get that fourth guy and be willing to take a plunge down the board. That will give you the opportunity to not only get defensive talent, but more draft picks to really round out your roster. 
So where do you sit with Cincinnati then? For me with Cincinnati, <laughs> it feels like a Penny Sewell, Jamar Chase conversation. And I'm certainly not going to allow Drew Sample and CJ Uzoma prevent me from going after Kyle Pitts. And I think that Joe Burrow would really maximize a, a weapon like Kyle Pitts. I think he should be part of the conversation, but made Thad Moss look like an NFL tight end. Yeah. Yeah. Remember there were some people that said tight end one. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Cinder blocks on his damn feet trying to run a route. Sir. (laughs) Did I say a lie? (laughs) (laughs) We run a five, two or something like that. Sir. Randy Moss's son. Missed a few genes there. Continuing. I agree with you. Uh, in a perfect world, Cincinnati could have that conversation, but you know, we know as well as anybody, teams more often than not account for need when they make selections. The pressing need in replacing A.J. Green or simultaneously getting Penny Sewell in the building I think is going to be too much for Cincinnati. I, you can make it – and here's the thing. You can make a case for Kyle Pitts in any system, yeah. right? But where are the realistic landing spots in Cincinnati? I would give a less likely chance than what I would give the Atlanta Falcons. So number six, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, man. I think if he's there, the the Dolphins, they they need an offensive weapon. You can be flexible with that. Both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tungvaloa were notably more productive on a per dropback attempt from 12 personnel than they were in 11 personnel. You have Mike Isecki. You're going to have to make a financial decision on Mike Isecki here pretty soon. He's entering into a contract year after two good seasons of productive play at the tight end position. That contract extension is going to look somewhere like $10 million a year in that ballpark. Not an easy decision to make unless you, you know, are super comfortable paying that dollar amount. I think when you take into account what the other skill players are for the Dolphins, it'd be worth it. But nevertheless, there's an economic dynamic here. There is Miami's other tight ends were Adam Shaheen and Durham Smythe. Imagine 12 personnel with Gusecki and Kyle Pitts. Who the hell cares who your wide receivers are? Plus, you already got Will Fuller in free agency. So that's a layer to the conversation, Kyle, that I think is really important with Kyle Pitts. And I think I think there's a value proposition that comes into play when you talk about paying tight ends versus paying wide receivers. The wide receiver markets above the, the elite guys are over 20 million a season. Yeah, you're getting Darren Waller just signed four years, $29 million, man. So maybe that's easier to stomach because Gasecki's a good player. Gasecki doesn't stop you from drafting pits. And I also don't think drafting pits stops you from paying Gasecki. Well, you can have both because you can have both of those guys for what it's going to cost you to have an elite receiver in their prime. So Mike Gasecki took approximately two-thirds of his snaps this past year in the slot. And Kyle Pitts took 60% of his reps with his hand in the dirt in an inline position. So there's a clear coexistence that I think based on utilization, there's to be had there. I had somebody ask me this when I, I did this for Locked on Dolphins and I explored Kyle Pitts on a deep dive. They asked me, okay, well, what about like Jimmy Graham? And Jimmy Graham, he had that whole dispute about getting paid as a wide receiver versus getting paid as a tight end. Arbitrator came back and said, you are a tight end, sir. Good day. So there's a precedent. And Jimmy Graham, like you hope 
if you bring in Kyle Pitts, he becomes as productive as Jimmy Graham was for the New Orleans Saints, right? Yeah. He was unstoppable for a few years. The OG of the big wide receiver tight end types in the modern last 15 years or so. So, you know, that economic value, I definitely think should not be overlooked where when you're on the rookie contract, your rookie weight scale keeps you fairly boxed in. But when it comes time for that fifth year option, when it comes time for that second contract, I mean, what are top wide receivers going to be getting paid four years from now? 25 million a season. Right. And and tight ends like George Kittle broke the market by 50% when he got paid 15. Right. So you're, you're talking about a difference of probably eight to $10 million for a top contract at the position should definitely not be overlooked. Yeah. So that brings us to the lions at number seven, who pretty recently took TJ Hawkinson number eight overall. But again, I don't think, I don't think, Hawkinson precludes Pitts from being an option where they can. I mean, Hawkinson's definitely a guy that you feel comfortable hand in the dirt playing, you know, a traditional inline tight end where Kyle Pitts can be an X receiver or a slot receiver. So I think how far, how deep are we going? Right. Well, I like, think I, the floor is the floor is eight to Carolina, right? That's the end of the conversation. Right. Now, unless you were a team that's picking beyond eight, and you want to make a noise and get a splash and, and go get him. So if you're a fan of a team, Philadelphia Eagles, maybe they broke your heart, they traded back, <laughs> you can swing over to draftnetwork.com, use the mock draft simulator, TDM premium subscribers, you can facilitate trades in the mock draft machine. Eagles fans, listen. Get up in front of Carolina in the event that he drops to seven. Detroit would probably love a couple extra picks. You can wheel and deal your way up and down the draft board in our mock draft simulator. In addition, you get access to 400 plus trait by trait scouting reports on the 2021 NFL draft, which is at the end of this month. So it's right around the corner. So you can be the best version of yourself as a draft Nick and football fan for this year's NFL draft, courtesy of TDM premium. It's $30 for the year or $10 a month. Not a math guy, but $30 for the year is a great opportunity for you to not only get involved in this year's draft, but if you sign up now, you're going to get the vast majority of next year's draft cycle as well. So a great opportunity, the draftnetwork.com, TDM premium, check it out. So the absolute floor is Carolina at eight. Like he's going to, unless somebody trades up, it's a four to eight window in my mind. And he'd be wonderful. I know that they just signed Dan Arnold. Carolina did. Dan Arnold ain't keeping Kyle Pitts from being the pick. And now Sam Darnold's in the mix. You've already got some nice pieces with McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. I know they need offensive line. They need cornerback, but Pitts, if Pitts is on the board at eight, they got to, they got to pick him. Could you imagine like Sam Darnold would be, he'd like wake up the first day of training camp and feel like a kid on Christmas morning, just completely beside himself of like, I get to go throw the football to DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Kyle Pitts. Christian McCaffrey in the backfield with me. Imagine. I think that, most quarterbacks would like that. Holy cow. I mean, he had Robbie Anderson, Chris Hurden, and and uh, Le'Veon Bell in New York. It didn't work out for him. Whatever. Who? With Adam Gase calling the plays. and Yeah. Well, what offensive line? Listen, guys, that? I understand. It would be an upgrade, okay? I get it. 
That was a weird man at us. That was a weird we, moment to come in and defend the Jets. We, I we wasn't defending. It was me being completely sarcastic. Okay. We, we didn't make the picks. <laughs> Neither did Joe Douglas, right? Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, MLB, and NHL seasons are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, and they have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything that you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code Locked On. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Kyle. So Kyle Pitts is not the only tight end in this year's draft class. We want to take a moment here and just kind of touch on the rest of the guys in the mix. And I'm sure for everyone, I, I haven't seen anyone else have a different tight end too, but Pat Fryermuth from Pennsylvania State University is that number two guy for me. So I owe Kyle Pitts an apology because in the summer, I had a take that Pat Fryermuth was tight end one. Now, technically, you could make a case that Kyle Pitts is in a league of his own. He's an offensive weapon, in which case, Maybe you grade him as a wide receiver because of the dynamics that he brings to the passing game, in which case you can make the argument that Pat Frymuth still is tight end one. Joe, I had one more stack courtesy of pro football focus uh, on Kyle Pitts as we get ready to transition away. Against man coverage, he averaged nearly five yards per route in productivity against man coverage in 2020. So that's, that's not targets. Yeah. It's not receptions. That's per route, nearly five yards of productivity created. That's unbelievable. Yeah. That is according to pro football focus is charting the third highest of any player in the country and two yards more than any of the tight end against man coverage. Yeah. That's not league of his own. Yeah. So Pat Frymuth is not a bad player. Nope. Now, the, this season in 2020, much like the entire thing went for Penn State, probably didn't go the way anybody would have hoped for. Uh, Pat uh, missed time with injury. Um, he didn't really, when he was on the field, give you the same level of excitement that he gave me from his 2019 stuff. I was hoping to see him take a step forward as a blocker. Uh, he's an inline guy. He's perfectly capable playing with his hand in the dirt. Uh, but there were times in which you got almost this sense of like disinterest in banging down low. I thought the Michigan game in 2019 was a good illustration of that uh, with all the physical edge defenders that they had. Uh, That was a team that got after him a little bit as a blocker, kind of reset him back into the offensive backfield. So I was coming into the seasons like, man, like you watch all the ways Penn state had him run routes and he's like 260 and he can do all of the same things that we're talking about from Kyle Pitts from an alignment standpoint, not an explosive standpoint, not a production standpoint, not a mismatch standpoint, but like he can go work ISO in the back end and, and run routes. He can win after the catch, but it's just, it's, it's with power with him as compared to uh, the rare blend of both power and explosiveness and speed and rare length and size for Kyle Pitts. So we didn't really get to see that. So Fryermuth's kind of an under-the-radar guy at this point. Like, who talks about Pat Fryermuth right now? Right? Like, genuine question. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who's covering the draft right now that's like, 
keep an eye on on Pat Fryermuth on day two. Like, and I, I think that way, but his season just was so anticlimactic that I think it has really cut down any hype that you could get based off his 2019 receiving tape at the knees. And the injury kind of cut off those opportunities to kind of spark the discussion again, where we didn't see him test, you know, there was no all-star game for him. Um, Just this, it sizzled. It's the way to put it there. Uh, Another guy in this tight end class, Brevin Jordan from Miami. Um, I, I like what he showed this year on tape. I thought you saw a more expansive route tree. He just did more. And you watch him in 2019. And I'm not saying this didn't happen a lot in 2020, but in 2019, it was, there was just nothing to his game. It was just like, get in space. We'll throw you the ball. See if you can create after the catch. And he did, right. He had some big time uh, plays where he broke pursuit angles and made people miss in space and ran guys over. And you saw really good yards after catch ability. Uh, in 2020, I thought Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator, did a lot better job of creating opportunities for him to win down the field a little bit, challenge the seam, work the middle of the field, and, and show more of what he can do. He had some injuries this past year, which I think took away from him really reaching his ceiling. But to me, with, with Jordan, he didn't test as well as we thought. A little smaller than we were hoping he would be. And I think he's a project. He's a worthwhile project. There's some athleticism here, but as far as coming in and doing all the stuff you're going to want him to do right away, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think in time he can develop into a John U. Smith type player, just like you saw with the Tennessee Titans over the last couple of years. I think that's the ceiling. That's my comp for him. I like that comp, but I don't know that this is a, you know, maybe at one point when you started to watch him at Miami early in his career and you saw the traits and, the, the playmaking caught your eyes that we maybe said, Hey, this is probably a, a guy that can be in that first round conversation. I don't think he's there, but I think he's a worthwhile day two pick that can give you some athleticism and some upside at the position. Here's the big roadblock for Brevin Jordan. You know how many snaps he took in line this past year? Oh gosh. I'm guessing not many. It was 458 total snaps. Take. Yeah. How many do you think came in line? hundred, 107. Yeah. So, Slot snaps was 261, according to the Pro Football Focus Draft Guide, which is a great tool. Uh, their, their charting stuff's very helpful for adding further context with when you watch the tape. So a guy who played with his hand in the dirt on only 107 of 405 snaps, that's a tough project. Now, it wasn't skewed that hard in 2019, uh, he had 319 of 478, so it was closer to like 60-something percent. But what he did this past year, was it was his most productive season. He had seven touchdowns this year. Uh, he averaged 15.2 yards per catch, his most productive season in that regard. He had his career high in receptions, and they only played, what, one, two, three, four, five. They only played like eight games. So if that's how you're going to maximize your usage there, and you were going to compare him to Janu Smith and Gerald Everett and all these guys. Uh, Charles Clay was another comp that I saw that I didn't dislike for him. My question, Joe, is, is what ceiling does he have? Is he a potential tight end one? Because ironically, like Janu Smith's the best case scenario comp, and New yeah. England went out and they signed another tight end to be the tight end one anyway in Hunter Henry. Yeah, I like him as, as an F. Right. Like 
if you're going to go 12 personnel and you have Hunter Henry or you have Dallas Godert, like this is that other guy that you can flex around and use in a variety of ways. So you're going to play 11 personnel. Like, is he on the field for you? Maybe. As a slot? Yeah. That's what I, that's where I would have him. Yeah. But his athletic profile doesn't really get you super excited in that regard. No, you, and yeah. You, you start drawing safeties better. in coverage, then it's like, okay, like these guys are probably going to be able to hang on him a little bit and he's not going to run away from you. So that, I, yeah. I like Brevin Jordan. I want to say that. I just, it's when you look at that projection, I think that one gets a little murky. I have another guy graded with the same. Go ahead. I don't want to cut no, you off. No, I think it's fair. I, I mean, I, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, you, you brought up some very real concerns. And that's why I think he's project. If he, if he tested better, you would feel better about it. So he's going to have to really hone in on the technical side of the position, become a really dynamic route salesman, get open, show that your ability to win after the catch can translate to the NFL level. So he's got to answer those questions, Mm -hmm. but it's not like, all right, well, if the NFL treats him like he's a tight end and they put safeties on him, then he's going to be, have guys all over him all the time. He's going to have to earn it. I have another guy graded with the same grade, uh, a 77 out of 100 on our scoring scale, which is a third round grade, mid to third round grade. Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame. I think he's a little slept on because he's been the tight end too uh, for the entirety. I believe he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, he's been the tight end too, kind of buried on the depth chart there. He was behind uh, Cole Met last year. And this past season in 2020, he was behind Michael Mayer, who was the five-star freshman phenom who like looks like the next Rob Gronkowski based on his freshman season at Notre Dame. He took 472 snaps, Tommy Tremel did. Uh, not a very productive player. He did not log a single touchdown. He only caught 19 passes this past year. He enters the NFL draft with just 35 career receptions and four touchdowns in two seasons. So that's your red flags. But you watch him on tape. And he gives you a lot of the same move piece dynamics, but he's a much better blocker uh, getting into bodies and, and getting movement and generating movement to kick out defensive ends or pick up linebackers on the second level. If you're going to fold them up underneath and his athletic profile says, this is a guy who can come in and develop into a receiver. So I look at, and that's why I framed my questions with Brevin the way that I did the ceiling there is as a probably a tight end too. And, and maybe when you want to go heavy and you've got a mismatch that you like, you can play him in the slot predominantly in 11 personnel. Whereas Tommy Tremble, uh, he was in line on 65% of his snaps for Notre Dame is the tight end too. He's come across the set. He's hit those wham blocks and he's really, really good in run blocking right away. And he has the athletic profile to become a much better receiver. I think it's easier to project a guy when he's got the blocking dynamics down and has athleticism to develop into a better receiver than a guy who's more of a receiver, but doesn't really check the boxes to be a comfortable guy to get on the field with consistency, regardless of what your personnel groupings are. At the risk of this statement being taken out of context, oh, no, and I, sounding, going. should I say it? Yeah, go ahead. Do I say it? All right. Dude, treat me well on this. There's an element to watching Tommy Tremble play the position when you consider his enthusiasm as a blocker, some of the athleticism you watch with the ball in his hands, 
the way he catches the football, the way he competes as a receiver, not a one for one, but there is that piece of me that says, you know what? I don't want to miss on this player. Like I did George Kittle. I want to buy into this player. Maybe he doesn't do everything that you want right now, but the way he plays the game and that competitive toughness and that alpha mentality and the enthusiasm that he brings to the table. I just want this guy and I want to see what I can get and, and, and learning from evaluating George Kittle. And, and I wasn't low on George Kittle. I liked him, but I was a little bit cautious. I don't want to fall into that same trap with Tommy Tremble because I think this is a really good football player. Can I read some numbers to you? Yeah. Going to compare Tommy Tremble's pro day versus George Kittle's combine. Okay. 6-3 versus 6-4, advantage George Kittle. 241 versus 247, advantage George Kittle. So an inch taller and six pounds heavier. Uh, we're not going to get really get into arm length or anything like that. Like, who cares? Tommy Tremor ran a 4.59. George Kittle ran a 4.52. So comparable speed. Tommy Tremble jumped 36 and a half in the vert. George Kittle jumped 35 in the vert. Tommy Tremble jumped 122 inches or 10 feet, two inches in the standing broad jump. George Kittle jumped 11 feet in the broad jump. So he's got a significant advantage in that one. Tremble put up two more reps in the bench press, 20 to 18 in advantage of George Kittle. So we're not saying he's George Kittle. And I missed on George Kittle. Like, I think I had a five on George. But that's where I get the excitement. And if I have a guy in Brevin Jordan and a guy in Tommy Tremble that I have the same grade on based on what they are right now, I'm going to take the guy with the ceiling. And I think Tommy Tremble's ceiling, as you mentioned, from an athletic profile perspective, from having the blocking dynamics that he has, that ceiling is undeniable. And the fact that we're comparing his pro day to George Kittle's combine is all the testament that you need. Now, you, from a football processing perspective, there's a lot that has to go right for you to get there. But the foundation is something that we've seen this path work for teams before. I think the last guy to touch on is Hunter Long, tight end yeah. from Boston College. Uh, you love the production. You know, a lot of times you watch college tight ends and you're just hoping to see targets. <laughs> Not a question with, with Hunter Long. You pop on the Boston College tape and he's a guy that they prioritize getting the football to. And uh, last year, 89 targets, which was 22 more than the second most targeted tight end in college football and had 57 catches for 685 yards. I just think he's one of those guys that's baseline ability across the board. Good blocker, good run route runner, good size, good hands, sufficient ball skills, fringe starter type player. At worst, you, you think he's a quality tight end too, but very cerebral. Like if you're looking, you need to get a, a baseline ability tight end in your room. It's Hunter Long from Boston College. Yeah. Um, I would feel super comfortable with him being a de facto hand in the dirt guy. If you had a guy like a Brevin Jordan as the other guy in your tight end room, right? He's the guy who's, who's going to play this hand in the dirt. I really liked his physicality and presence along the line of scrimmage. 
And again, because he's a guy who, from a blocking perspective, I'm comfortable with, I think he can play right away. Um, my question is just what is the ceiling as a pass catcher? I don't think he's a super mismatch type, but he'll, he'll beat up linebackers because he's big, you know, and he can bang at the top of routes and, and get some physical separation. And if you try and put defensive like safeties on him, like he'll steamroll those guys. So he's got really good hands. We saw that on tape. We saw that at the senior bowl. So I think there's plenty of appeal to Hunter long. It's just not quite the, uh, sexy athletic profile or height, weight, speed that you see with some of the other guys. Got a sleeper tight end. You got a late round guy that you like. Hmm. I'll give you mine while you pull that up. Yeah, I like Car- Carrie Angeline from uh, North Carolina State. Six seven two fifty. Soft hands, really soft hands. Um, got the size to block. I think technically he's a pretty good blocker. Got to be stronger, um, but. He's a guy you draft to challenge your tight end three, develop into a tight end two. I like Carrie Angeline from North Carolina State. I think the name that we have to mention here is um, what's the Zach Davidson from Central Missouri. Dre scouted him up, gave him a fifth round grade. Uh, he is a guy who I see a lot of buzz for. Um, so if you're looking for developmental type who is the guy from drake a couple oh years eric back? schubert saubert saubert yeah yeah like i love those kinds of projects right and, and zach davidson is a player who coming from central missouri you know there's an incubation period that you're going to need but he also moonlit as a punter. Like, yes, you gotta love that. Yes. So there's some really fun, just athleticism from at that level of competition uh, that I think some team is really going to like and and look for on day three. I have two questions for you gentlemen. Great. We love Chris questions. Can you tell me where Eric Sauber currently plays? Because you brought in the Falcons. That would be incorrect. Joe, would you like to make a guess before I ask my second question? He was drafted by the Falcons, but that is not where he currently plays. New York Jets. Does not play there either. Was signed to the active roster on November 21st, 2020 for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. Okay. Can't give him any more tight ends. Was he not? Did he have a a moment with the Jets? He did not. Falcons, Patriots, Raiders, Bears, Jaguars. My guy's on the Ryan Fitzpatrick plan already. (laughs) I have a Kyle Pitts related question to wrap up the show. Very good. If we were not looking at a draft class and a draft order the way that we did with quarterbacks, is Kyle Pitts a top three player in this year's class? He's top three player on my board. I think I have. I think I agree with that. Um, I think he's third. Yeah. So, yeah. Disregarding positional value and all that kind of stuff, just grading the players on tape, Kyle Pitts. Uh, top three player on both of our boards. Yeah. I believe he's third on the uh, TD and consensus rankings tied with Penny Sewell uh, for two. So yeah, this, this is a, this is one of the best pure football players in the class, regardless of positional value or position. Thanks for bringing questions, Chris. No problem. Guys. Always it's nice wonderful. to put a little, little bow on the show. Uh, we got two more shows this week. Joe lied to you at the beginning of the show, told you it was Tuesday, and had you thinking you had three more <laughs> hey, episodes listen, this week. Hey, listen, it is Tuesday when we recorded this thing. <laughs> it's, it's only two more shows this week. 
which is good. That means we're one day closer to the 2021 NFL draft. So you're going to want to hit subscribe on the podcast, follow along. We have a live stream on YouTube, the draft network tomorrow night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You are not going to want to miss it. Kyle Krabs, Joe Murnow, Chris Schubert, thanks as always for listening to Draft Dudes Podcast. We will talk to you guys again soon.